Why do you want here? What are you doing? What do you want with me? Where are you taking me? Why do you look so much like Scott? I can't get no satisfaction. I'm Joe. I'm Josh, and this is Video Dropbox. And this episode, we'll be chatting with one lucky video store customer to find out what they've put in the basket and why they've rented that title in the first place. So, video store customer, can you reintroduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm Stephanie. Known Josh for just forever. We'll just go with that. I'm turning 40 this month, so things are getting real. So that's why you're our special guest, because uh, when this comes out, it'll be around the time that we're celebrating your birthday. Ah, can't wrap my head around it. Can't hardly no. wait. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, of course. How are you celebrating? I'm going to go to the Exumas in the Bahamas, which is my just ultimate destination on planet Earth, I think. There's like every color of turquoise exists there in the water. So I will be floating there for two weeks. <laughs> That's about it. We both just like had joked that essentially, so it's the shooting location of the half last half of Thunderball, the 007 movie. And we both joked that the opening with the girls swimming and their shadows, that's going to be us the entire time, like just <laughs> sensually floating through the water. We're so blessed to have gotten a house like away from civilization, essentially. Yeah, literally. We have our own beach. Yeah. Like our own beach, like private. It looks private. I don't know. I'm really curious to see how close another house is. So I'm like, I can be as loud as I want to because Lord knows us Wisconsin girls are loud. Yeah. Well, and Wisconsin gays too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, you and I have watched a lot of films together, but before we cover that, I'm dying to know, uh, have you put together, because I don't think I've actually asked you, like, 10 of your favorite films? So hard, but can I have 13? <laughs> oh, yes, of course. I kept adding and adding and adding and adding. It's usually Joe and I make, like, a top 10 list, and then I have, like, 10 more honorable mentions. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yes. Perfect. I love it. So three more is, like, totally acceptable for you guys. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Go for it. So my personal number one is just strictly, for me, it's my guilty pleasure, is The Pride and Prejudice with Kira Knightley. Oh, yeah, you've talked about that. Beautiful and phenomenal, and I don't, it's very romantic. And I want to go to that house, whatever that Chatsworth house. I'm going to go there and watch a movie, watch Pride and Prejudice on the lawn there is an option, apparently. So we need to make that happen. <laughs> um, and then number two, I have Caddyshack because I just, I don't know, watched it with my parents and just a lot of nostalgia again. That was one that we watched together because we, yes. spoiler alert, we each have lists, like we have a running list for each other that's like movies we each want each other to see that haven't seen. So like that was one of the ones I'd never seen Caddyshack. And she's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? It's so funny. Ted Knight is amazing. I don't, he's a special comic for sure. Mm. And Rodney, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and then number three is Crazy Stupid Love. Because again, just comedy and Ryan Gosling. I mean, how can you not? <laughs> yeah, that was when he was like in real, like the oh first time God. you saw him in like fit yeah, shape. Yeah, he right? takes his shirt off and she's like, <laughs> you look like you're airbrushed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh my God, he's, he's so gorgeous. And he's a womanizer and then of course they fall in love. And of course, another like romantical thing. Um, number four is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, the one with Daniel Craig. Again, another nod to 007. Number five, I had Little Women, and I mean the one with Winona Ryder and Christian Bale. This is the one I grew up with. Um, number six, I have Far From the Matting Crowd. It's mm, another one. I feel like I choose a lot of these things based off of romanticism. 
Yeah, your Jane Austen affairs. I don't know yes. if that's Jane Austen, but it's very inspired, isn't it? Oh, God, I just love it. Like, again, like the music, it just like sweeps me away. I don't know. And of course, the man, um, Matthias Schoenwalter, I think that's how you say his name. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've watched anything he's been in, but it's not hard <laughs> to look at him. <laughs> um, oh, and again, back another another nod to Matthias, because A Little Chaos is with Kate Winslet and him. Ugh. I've never heard of that. What's it about? Um, it's set back in like the French, what is it, like 17th century or something like that? King Louis, I think. It's directed by Alan Rickman? Yes, he's in it. And he's the king. He's so good. I love him. And no idea. And you know what? I just have to shout out and say this all tracks because Steph and I are very big Outlander fans, which I feel like <laughs> is very on brand with this these these films. So I feel like even Outlander took me just a little bit to like get into it just because of how the plot is twisted together. Yeah. But once you get into it, it can't go back. Same thing with these. I couldn't tell you how many times I've actually watched like Cuddly Pride and Prejudice. A Little Chaos and Far From the Matting Crowd are probably right up there, like with my most watched films ever, I think, in my life, because I watch them over and over again. I can't help it. Um, what else do I have? Oh, um, An Affair to Remember mm. with Cary Grant. We still haven't again, watched it, but... It's just like so sweeping and I've got a nod to my mother because she loved it. And a big shout out to you for getting me into Cary Grant. I love him. He's just beautiful he's a beautiful man also maybe that's more the theme forget the romanticism it's just a beautiful man <laughs> forget the it man. yeah never mind number 10 is hatari with john wayne oh, i love that one love hatari i love the elephants again the music i just love the music very different theme than thunderball but both of them seem like they're very leisurely movies to watch that they're just like they're just hanging out they're not in a rush to get anywhere yes no i just and i love john wayne i feel like that's him at his like Time for me. I don't know. Um, let's see here. Where else? Do, oh, number eleven for me is Funny Girl. Mm. Ode to Babs. Yeah, we mother. just watched. We watched that too. That was another one we watched together. I love it. Oh God, Nikki Onstein. I sing Sadie, Sadie, Married Lady. Well, and you know my favorite from there. Mm-hmm. Oh God, <laughs> do the kick line. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have a very fond memory. So we go to the cabin every every um, summer together, and we were a little inebriated and listening to Spotify, and we we're closing the night by listening to um, "Don't Rain on My Parade" by Barbara Streisand, and we have a very like straight laced friend who's just. <laughs> deals with our nonsense all all the time who she's also been our good friend since high school and so she's just staring at us like poking the fire like you are absolutely out of your mind and we are like at the very end starting to do this kick line because she's like i got my we're just like yeah we're super into it yeah i love that movie and it's very long i do have to say but it's so good the music is so good too again um number 12 i have is the great escape because I just, everything about those old movies again, I don't know. I just love it. They're just very sweeping. And I feel like the cinematography is like nothing that you really see today. And then again, another number 13. I keep going back to all these old movies. Stalag 17. It's very old. World War II set in a concentration camp. It's really good. Great suggestions. It's a great eclectic mix here. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm real random. That's it. That's enough. Yeah, no, solid list. Thanks for sharing. I mean, again, I always appreciate, you know, the variety. That's why we did this, because I like to just cover all aspects of different people's perspectives of films. Um, Obviously, Joe and I have similar interests, but at the same time, like, we have enough differences that mesh really well. And I'd say same thing with you. Like, 
you bring things, uh, you bring the classics to me and I give you the trash. So (laughs) (laughs) the trash. Oh, just some of them. Some of them I think you've scarred me for life. Like I truly (laughs) believe like I'm never going to be the same after we watch them. Well, that's a great segue into the next segment, which makes (laughs) me want to prompt you to say like, so out of, uh, we've watched a lot of films together, like I've said. Um, And in fact, we, one of the highlighting moments for a weekend was, how many did we do? Did we do like 10? 10? Yeah. Did 10 10. movies in Mm -hmm. like a weekend together? Ridiculous. We're cinephiles in our own way, right? So... (laughs) I mean, I love watching them more so with you. It's just such a special experience for me, I guess. Even the trash, as you say. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and vice versa. Because, like, I like seeing people's reactions that I feel like you're very similar. Like, you like watching these and getting people's reactions, too. And Joe's, Joe's witnessed that as well when, you know, he sat down and watched The Lake with Yasmin Bleed and stuff. I just, I get a kick. <laughs> and even with Adam, like, I get a kick out of other people's sort of interpretations and reactions to things. And it's like, you almost kind of, like, are on pins and needles like, ooh, I can't wait for this moment <laughs> to come up and see what happens. So speaking of all the films we've watched, any highs? Uh, let's cover the highs. Are there any any that you were like, oh, yeah, like I appreciated that for making me watch that or anything okay. that sticks out in your mind that you're like, oh, that was fun. I feel like Dial M for Murder. I'm so glad that we went back and watched that because that's just such a good plot. It's such a great plot. I don't know how you felt about that one. Yeah. From what I remember, it was really good. Uh, it was a little high at the time, but but no, no. I, I mean, believe. yeah, I remember it being really good. And we again, we watched it with our friend, Melissa, who's like very no-nonsense. So I think she enjoyed it. The ending was just, I don't know. It just gets me every time. And I've seen it multiple times and I always go back to it. Well, we don't have to specifically just cover the highs. I mean, you can definitely talk about the lows because uh, I'm dying to hear like the movies that mm. change you. Zola. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. I knew that one was coming. I'm never getting over it. It's never going to leave me. It's terrifying. And the fact that that is based on a true story or true tweet. Allegedly. Tweets? Yes. It's allegedly yeah. based That's on a terrifying. true story. We don't know. But uh, another one that I say is like on par, I consider it sort of the male version of Zola uh, that I Ugh. absolutely love that is oh really what is that called that i made her watch yeah. was red rocket with simon rex oh, um and that's infamous, <laughs> so bad. infamous because there's one two minute scene i don't know how long it is of him like full frontal like running at the camera <laughs> it's just like at that point in the movie you're just like oh my god what is happening I always used to think he was so attractive, and I don't think that I think he's attractive any longer. After, after that, that movie? <laughs> yeah. It's ruined, it's ruined him for me for life, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's pretty sleazy. And I mean, that's there's something about that genre of movie that I absolutely love. Because like another one that I made you watch, I don't know if you remember it, is Freeway with Reese Witherspoon. Um, and that's another one. That I feel like it's, it's, very, it's very on brand, like all of these films. So. Yes. You definitely have a type, and I don't know where you find these things. <laughs> oh my god! Look, look out! What are you doing? You said you watched me. You said you knew the rules. I do know the rules. Oh, well, for your information, pal, that was a yellow light back there. I watched you very carefully. 
Red light stop, green light go, yellow light go very fast. Uh, did you have any other films that you were considering for your basket that you regret you no, didn't pick? really was just Starman. The second that I thought about it and remembered it, that was like, this is my choice because I really wanted to watch it. It's been a long time. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> Good or bad. Oh. So Starman opens up at the box office December 4th, 1984. It is number six. Uh, number one was Beverly Hills Cop. But this weekend also saw the release of Dune. So the cast, I mean, the main two are Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen. Uh, a few fun faces that pop up. Uh, there's the Hunter character that gets in the fight with Jeff Bridges. He was behind the Jason mask in Friday the 13th Part 4. And there are some cops that show up around that same time. That's Dirk Blocker and MC Ganey. Dirk Blocker was probably best known as Hitchcock on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And MC Ganey was in a ton of stuff. He was the limo driver for Gordon Bombay in Mighty Ducks. But also he was in Con Air and Lost and... Very familiar face as he got older. Uh, and then, Josh, this one's for you. Buck Flower, who's the cook that gives Jeff Bridges a ride. He is the evil stepfather from Waxwork 2. Oh, yeah. Like, so I was like, <laughs> I am totally clocking this guy, but I can't quite figure it out. And I looked him up and I, like, didn't look at everything individually, like, very closely. But I was like, he has a huge filmography. And that voice was very specific. I was like, he, if anything, I definitely, like, recognize that voice from some sort of animated something. So for the crew, this is randomly produced by Michael Douglas, of all people. And there are a ton of people who worked on this through the years because it took a long time for this movie to get made. So the director, John Carpenter, at this point in his career, he's on an all-timer run, in my opinion, just from his start. Uh, student film Dark Star. It was Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, and Christine. And then this one. He chose this movie because he was in director jail because uh, The Thing bombed. He had done a few TV movies as a work for hire, but Christine and this one were the first theatrical films he'd done in that capacity. Uh, but before Carpenter came aboard, uh, there were five other directors attached. There was Mark Rydell, who had just won an Oscar for On Golden Pond. Uh, he leaves to do a film called The River. We have Adrian Lin, who abandons this for Flashdance. Uh, John Badham abandons this for War Games. Tony Scott abandons this for Top Gun. And Peter Hyams abandons this for the 2001 Space Odyssey sequel, 2010. And then the writers also, the credited writers are Bruce Evans and Ray Raymond Gideon, who wrote Stand By Me, which keeps coming up, Josh, <laughs> lately. But they also wrote Movies I Appreciate More. There's Cuffs with Christian Slater and Cutthroat Island, the 90s bomb. But uncredited writers on this, there's Dean Reisner, who wrote Blue Thunder, like the helicopter action movie of the 80s. Uh, Ed Zwick, more known as a director, but he had written about last night at the time. And Diane Thomas, who had written uh, Romancing the Stone, who was also in the process of writing the original Indiana Jones 3, which was going to take place in a haunted house. But then she died at the age of 39. So then oh once she was gone, then they thought it was going to be too similar to Poltergeist. So they switched tactics. Cinematographer Donald Morgan, he had just uh, shot Christine for John Carpenter. He also goes on to shoot The Rage Carry 2. And this is one of the rare John Carpenter movies that he did not do the score for, one of four. This time around, it is Jack Nitsche, who did Stand By Me. <laughs> oh, here it is again. But also One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, Cruising, the Breathless remake with Richard Gere, Jewel of the Nile, and Mermaids. Woo, Mermaids. 
And this movie, when it comes out, it was pretty widely uh, liked by critics. But Leonard Maltin, of course, giving it the old two and a half out of four stars. Uh, you can't please him. He says, <laughs> extremely pleasant, genteel sci-fi about an alien who lands on Earth, abducts young widow to help him travel cross country so we can rendezvous with spaceship. Her toughest problem, he's made himself to look like her late husband, and she finds herself attracted to him. Familiar, derivative storyline is giving a solid boost by two lead performances. Later, a TV series, which I did not know about. I have Whoa. never seen that. I meant to look it up, but that got away from me. So I don't know. Maybe maybe your nostalgia for this was actually the television show. Yeah, you actually grew up watching the show, and you're like, oh, yeah. what? <laughs> Wrong one. Yeah. All right. Well, again, as as always, Steph, feel free to interrupt me as, as we go. Oh, go ahead. So this movie starts with our classic Columbia Pictures logo as we get a voiceover mentioning that the Voyager 2 has rocketed into space on August 20th, 1977. And on board, there are photos of Earth, verbal greetings, and a compilation of music. And the intent behind this is to welcome any intelligent life out there to visit planet Earth. And then we cut to space where I Can't Get No Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones plays as we get basically a shot of the Voyager hurtling towards, to me, it looked like this giant Saturn-like planet. I didn't realize that that was going to inevitably be like the ship, quote unquote. I was kind of confused. <laughs> I thought it was Saturn. I was like, uh, but anyway, but the thing goes hurtling right towards it. And then a few minutes later, we see this pod essentially get like slingshot out of that planet and headed towards Earth. And then we cut to Earth where we are introduced to Jenny, Karen Allen, and Scott Hayden, aka Jeff Bridges, um, where we see the two of them on a projector screen singing All I Have to Do is Dream to one another. And then it kind of pans out and we see that the worst for where Jenny is drinking, smoking, and crying watching the footage. And I do appreciate that she's just like, don't do this to yourself. It's like, yeah, girl, turn that shit off. <laughs> That's right. And I was like, please stop singing to each other. You're killing everybody. Uh, <laughs> Nobody God, wants yeah. to listen to that. It was real bad. So, okay. Then after this footage, you know, we see, because Jenny's like, go to bed, girl. <laughs> stop torturing <laughs> yourself. So I think she does. And in Washington, we cut to government, the government, tracking that mysterious pod. And essentially, they send two jets out to destroy it. But when they fire the missiles, it doesn't do anything and keeps hurtling towards Earth. And that's when they mention it's basically headed towards, okay, God help me, I, I've been practicing. <laughs> Shawamigan. It was so hard. Like, I'm from Wisconsin, and I know these names. <laughs> no. But this one does not sound like it's spelled. And also the pronunciation <laughs> that's out there does not help either. It's Shewamegin, oh. Bay, Wisconsin. You just got to say it really fast, you know, yeah. like us Wisconsinites do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I could say Economowoc, Waukesha, Kenosha. <laughs> I mean, yeah. all of them. But this one, it was like, I can't. It just doesn't I... flow very well, right? <laughs> no, because I think it's the G that's really throwing me off. Because mm. I was really looking at the screen when they were like, saying the name and i was like what are they saying like it took me a couple of times to really try to like focus and understand anyway i had to look it up too because again we're all wisconsinites i was like did they make this up or is this a real place <laughs> but it is a real place there's a lot of places in wisconsin that i still do not know yeah i mean you live there your whole life you still don't know half the, half the town so no this one is you know the pot is headed towards the Bay in Wisconsin <laughs> and the national security agent agency essentially phones the scientist, Mark Sherman, who we meet to alert him of the inevitable impact. 
Oh, Mark Sherman. I love that scene when he's like, picks up the phone. It's too good. Oh, yeah, because isn't he watching something? What, yeah, he's, watching, he's like, like, a like leaned back in his recliner or something, like picks up that old rotary phone. It's just the best. Yeah, and doesn't he say something like, I can't talk right now, or like, yes. call back. And they're just like, whoa, whoa, sorry, sorry. That's you and I when we're sitting down to watch movies, right? Like, no interruptions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, across from the lake, at, and I had to put in question mark, Jenny's cabin? Because is this her house or is this just a cabin? What do it's we think? Hard to tell. Not important detail, but I, I really it wasn't sure. It looked like a cabin, didn't it? Sort of? I don't yeah. know. Because you're in the deep woods of Wisconsin, you know? Well, and I know a lot of people have lake homes, so it very well yeah. could just be a home. But we see essentially across the lake from her place, the pod makes its crash landing into the woods, explodes. And I love that. Meanwhile, we just get a shot of Jenny sleeping like a rock. Yes, Girlfriend that's like that taken, body. But she must have taken an Ambien or something because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's drinking a lot. But damn, she's out. She probably hasn't slept well in days. Come on now. Give I a woman a break. Give her, she's give her. grief stricken. True. Like, what exactly happened to the man, to her man? I was always curious. Yeah, I don't think they ever say. They don't ever say anything. He's like, I don't know. It's like, did he have cancer? (laughs) What just happened? Yeah, or if it was like a the car is in great shape, so obviously it wasn't like a car collision, <laughs> but who knows? The car's in great shape. Uh, oh, well, God. from the explosion, a blue orb ar- rises from the wreckage and starts making its way across the water, and then we get this POV basically as it's like surveying the property, and it eventually makes its way inside jenny's and starts continuing exploring and finds a scrapbook with photos of jenny and scott in it they're like childhood photos and then some of them as adults and then it stops on the page that has a lock of hair taped inside um jenny uh, eventually wakes up now noticing basically the mysterious light in the living room and i love that like she doesn't think to like put any pants on she just comes out in her little like top um and underwear and then on the floor in front of her is this creepy baby with a glowing head <laughs> writhing around. Terrifying. I was like, that thing is so ugly. The fact that she's still standing there, like, watching this, like, as it's transforming. Because it eventually yeah. transforms from a baby um, into an older boy and eventually continues to mutate till it's, like, a full-grown adult. And this is where he li- literally loses his marbles. He drops his marbles on the floor. Um, <laughs> but I didn't understand what they were at first. But he eventually collects them and then stands up. And this is where we get that great butt shot. And I have to say, never in my life did I ever think I would consider Jeff Bridges sexy. But it wasn't just because of this nudity scene. Like, I was just like, okay, like I see it. The young Jeff Bridges is just, like attractive. Yeah, he's a good-looking guy. I'm thinking of my first experience, which was The Vanishing, which he's a creepy, long-haired killer who killed my girlfriend, Sandra Bullock. So I was just going to say that. I had that in my notes. So it was like, that was a big nod. Because I was trying to think of the first time that I remember seeing both of these actors in another movie before seeing this. Or like, and actually, this might have been first, I'm pretty sure. And then the other ones were later. But I remember them from these roles. I knew his voice before that because he was in The Last Unicorn. He did a voice in The Last Unicorn for them. He was Prince Lear's voice. Mm. So I was like, okay. So I think think that would be the first thing. Like, if we were going off of just him doing any kind of acting, that would be the first time I ever experienced Jeff Bridges. Yeah. I mean, props to you. Like, I'm a convert. 
he's he's a hottie hottie with a body because yeah yeah no he looks good we see him and is this one of your mom's maybe paused moments it's like oh i better I'm pause sure. it to run to the bathroom and then <laughs> yeah yeah stephanie you leave the room <laughs> yeah cover <laughs> your eyes go get a snack yeah go get a snack uh i can't believe she let me watch that either i really was like trying to go back and just trying to remember like how old i possibly could have been and i just i was really young i'm surprised because my parents are pretty religious and i don't know all that nudity yeah, this wouldn't have Nudity and sex. flown in the Hoover house. No. Well, thankfully, we do get, and props to John Carpenter for having this great butt shot. I was kind of sad that it didn't continue, but it's great. You know, we get something. And uh, <laughs> a little, little, a little this bit. This is when Jenny, as he's standing up and turns around, drops the gun because she's like, damn that ass, though. No, I'm just kidding. She says uh, <laughs> she realizes, you know, he's now in Scott's likeness. And she's shocked. And our star man, quote unquote, picks the gun up and attempts to walk and talk and immediately points it at her, rightfully scaring the shit out of her, um, and tries speaking to her in different languages. It's very, like, jarring, but she immediately is, like, reciting the Lord's Prayer, like, okay, I don't know what the hell's happening, but this is it. See ya. See ya, world. And passes out. And I love that she, like, slumps back and basically, like, is sitting in a cardboard box, I think, and looks at her in the room. <laughs> and... That's when he lowers the gun and starts exploring the house and flips on the projector, seeing the image of Scott, and he starts studying his movement and speech. And in the video, he also learns how to shoot a gun and witnesses Jenny being very compassionate to a raccoon in the video. Loving. Our new Scott, a.k.a. Starman, gathers his alien marbles and makes one glow and levitate. And we get a close-up shot of his face as the words emergency transmission, observation, craft destroyed, environment, hostile, completed symbiotic transformation, rendezvous, and and then rendezvous, third day landing, area one, like basically across the screen. Essentially telling us, like, without having to do some sort of hokey alien language thing, like we're seeing he's communicating this to his Saturn-like ship. And so back inside, Jenny does come to, she thinks that it was all a dream, and then outside the window, oh God, this is a great image too. She sees Starman and the glowing sphere. And at this point, his hair is like fully, like just all like on, on its ends. Like they just like <laughs> quaffed it up as like the wind's blowing and it's like a creepy glow. And she immediately hightails it out of there. She's like, nope, it wasn't a dream. I'm out of here. Uh, but then as she's like rounding the corner into the garage is intercepted by Scott. Then a few minutes later, we see Scott fully dressed and waiting patiently in the passenger side seat of Jenny's sexy Mustang, because it's a Mustang, right? Is that what they said? Mm-hmm. Which is another character in the in the movie, I have to say. It's its own character, right? Because they reference it a lot. But she basically is like, I, I can't get it to start. It's not starting. And he immediately touches the ignition in a very E.T. moment, and it starts. And she asks him, which, which way are we headed? And this is where he uses another sphere to create that Tron-like map that points to air... <laughs> I think I think this is how the interaction goes. He's like, where is that? And she's like, I don't know, Arizona maybe? And he's like, okay, Arizona maybe. <laughs> like, I love that he's just at this point repeating everything. I know, I love it. I did a lot of laughing, I have to say. I mean, as I always do, because I just laugh at everything. But there's definitely a lot of moments when I was yeah. just dying of laughter. Oh, I have some great lines written in the summary that are some of my favorites. I think you'll appreciate them too, but... Oh, yeah, I have one specific one that I wrote down. So I was like, That's, I got to remember that for everyday life. Uh, well, 
Yeah, it's great because he's learning as we're going and he's very serious. He's not like smiling unless someone smiles at him. He's like copying everyone's behavior. And so I he deserved to, an award for real. It was very good to like acting that way. Cause I don't know. How do you train for that? I think I read that he was studying birds a lot that you can see in his head movements. I was going to mention that because, yeah, his his head moves very like jerky like a bird. I guess that makes sense. Interesting. So, yeah, the car is starting. They know where they're going, Arizona, maybe. So they head out. And then as they're driving, they, you know, we basically see helicopters at the crash site patrolling the area. And during their drive, Scott is essentially like taking in everything. He's observing all, everything around him. Like Joe said, he's doing that sort of jerky bird head motion, just really taking it all in. Which includes, I love, a light turning red and Jenny just flooring it, uh, which we'll come back to play later. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) That second time. Yeah, when it happened, I was like, damn, girl, like, what the (laughs) hell? Like, I thought you weren't in a hurry to get, but I guess she wants to get him the fuck out of the car, right? Yeah, she's like trying to get away still. Well, we get a quick shot of Mark Sherman on one of the helicopters heading towards the crash site. And then eventually we see he's on land and discusses the crash and is essentially pissed because he's finding the team like digging up the the pod and taking a core sample. And then we cut back to Jenny uh, inside their sweet ride where we hear someone on the radio mention that Madison, essentially, which I think is near the, the bay. And they refer to the flash in the sky last night as the biggest meteorite to touch down in Ashland. Woo! which I think is Madison, right? It's Ashton mm-hmm. County is Madison. Yes. Uh, in 80 years. So Jenny switches the radio off and then immediately launches into all kinds of questions. Like, what do you want? Why do you look like Scott? Like, she's just asking all rapid fire questions. And I love that he just looks at her and he's like, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> she's just like, at that point, she's just done. Because she's, I don't know, she's just had it. She puts the pedal to the metal and starts speeding full speed to uh, add an oncoming van. I don't know if she actually wants to hit it and die or if she's just like trying to get their (laughs) attention, but she's just trying to get out of there. The van thankfully swerves. Both vehicles go off the road. And that's when she tries darting out of the car, calling for the other driver for help. But Scott grabs hold of her arm. And she's essentially telling the other driver, like, I'm being kidnapped. Help me. But Scott (laughs) continually just repeats, Greetings. I think he just says like, <laughs> greetings, greetings, uh, repeating everything that was in the Voyager. And the other driver comes out with a crowbar and is threatening him. But Scott removes another one of his spheres slash marbles, which makes the crowbar heat up. And then the guy drops it. And then immediately, like, a part of the forest explodes. I don't quite know, like, what caused that. But, but yeah, like, it was just, like, the tops of the trees. <laughs> yeah, like, they just Why? erupt into flames. And, I mean, rightfully so. This is terrifying the other man. He's like, okay, maybe I'll just buy. So he gets in his van and drives away. And then he Scott escorts Jenny back to the car. So she's SOL at this point. So back at the crash site. Sherman gets a call from a director who questions what he has found. And he basically says, I think the balloon has just gone up, sir, as ominous music plays. And then a little bit later, we see this pilot tell Sherman about this local police transmission detailing a kidnapping and an explosion not far from their site. And he does say they picked up the plates of the kidnapper and are running a background check on it. Or, or, sorry, running a check on it. But 
as they're talking, then behind them, there's a we see, you know, in the distance, a spacecraft that has been opened, basically the pod that crash landed. And that's when Sherman rushes over to check out its contents. And I love when he goes inside. He like holds up basically a vinyl record, but they're like, what's that? And he's like, it's a gold anodized disc. I'm like, girl, that's a record. <laughs> <laughs> it's 1984. Everyone knows. Um, and he essentially goes over all the stuff that was sent out to the Voyager. And Sherman mentions that he was part of the team that put together the package that went out into space. That's right. I love the, of course, we're all like upset because the aliens are here now, but I'm like, you invited them. Yeah. I don't get it. Exactly. Why? Like, what were you expecting? Like, <laughs> just let us know first, though. We don't want to have any like surprises. <laughs> we cut back to Jenny, who's once again behind the wheel. And she learns that Scott does understand readings in multiple languages and knows English little bit, I think is what he says. He holds up his fingers and he's like, little bit. And that's when he, he learns her name and tells her that the reason he looks like Scott is so she isn't so jumpy because everything he's saying is so monotone at this point. So she tells him they need to stop for gas and he asks a million questions, basically like, gas? Why gas? Oh, we need gas to drive the car. Why? Because if the car, you know, it's like a whole thing, like basically a child. So they end up stopping at a nearby gas station where she gets out to go use the restroom. And again, he once again is like, what? Where are you going? And she's like, the hell with it. You figure it out. <laughs> and leaves. I'm not about to explain to you what I have to do. This is probably one of my favorite scenes. So she's headed to the restroom, right? And he follows her and she's like, no, 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 no. You can't go in here. This is the ladies room. You need to go into the men's room. So she points him in the right direction and goes inside the women's bathroom. And this is my favorite line delivery, like interaction where he's standing outside the women's bathroom and a trucker walks by and is like, can't get her out, huh? And Scott's like, gas. <laughs> the trucker's like, I know just how she feels and walks into the bathroom. It's like, so stupid, but so modest the way it's delivered. It's fantastic. And then it continues because then Scott's like, oh, I guess I'll follow this man into the bathroom where the guy's standing there at the urinal peeing, right? And Scott just steps inside stands there and stares at him while he's peeing and i love the trucker just shakes his head and he's like every goddamn place you go <laughs> scott gives him a thumbs up as he's leaving and it says take it easy and the trucker flips him the bird and says oh, yes. up yours, up yours. <laughs> and then there's the whole interaction where scott's like holding his thumb up in one hand saying take it easy and then flipping off like in his other hand saying up yours so good I loved it. I rewound that a couple of yeah. times. So we cut to inside the women's bathroom where we see Jenny is eagerly taping a sign to the mirror mentioning that she's been kidnapped with directions on where they're headed. And that's when a curious Scott just immediately enters and he ignores the sign, essentially looking around, touching things until he leaves. And then she's like, oh, thank God. And she leaves too. And then a few minutes later, we see him go back into the bathroom and then grab the note off the bathroom mirror, and then back on the road, Scott essentially takes out the sign, like, because he crumpled it up, but then he, like, holds it up, and he is like, what is kidnapped? <laughs> she's like, immediately slams on the brakes. I love it. She's like, damn it, <laughs> and has another breakdown. And she essentially tells him, you know what? I'd rather be shot than go forward being scared to death, because she's so unsure about, like, what he's up to at this point. And that's when, God, it's kind of terrifying, because he points the gun at her, and she just stands there like, yeah, this is terrifying. But then he lowers it and essentially is like, I mean, you no harm, Jenny Hayden. 
So sometime later we see, I don't know, after this, apparently she trusts them enough to drive because she's sleeping in the passenger side seat while Scott is behind the wheel jamming out to New York, New York by Frank Sinatra. (laughs) And he turns the radio off and starts to mimic it and sing. And that's when she wakes up and essentially they start engaging again, whether she asks them, do you ever get hungry? And this prompts her to have to explain what all that means. So up ahead, we see they're driving through the intersection because Scott's still driving at this point. And the light's turning yellow to red. And Scott immediately just starts punching it, mimicking what she did. Basically running, like, almost running into, like, oncoming traffic. Thankfully, they, like, jam through the intersection. And I think a truck overturns or something. But they make it out okay. But Jenny is furious. And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, green means go, red means stop, and yellow means go very fast or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Which, these days, let's be honest, red means go very fast. Look twice every time. Yeah. Conversation for another day, but Stephanie have very long conversations about today's driving society. So and how James Bond, uh the James Bond cars would come in handy in an everyday situation. So I mean me and Aston Martin so bad. Yeah. So back at the crash site, we see Sherman has pieced this is like really hilarious because Sherman immediately has just like pieced every detail together about like Starman. He's just like, oh yeah, this man died and he he consumed his likeness and has now kidnapped this woman and is driving her across the state. It's like, how did you get all of that? <laughs> like in such a short amount of time. But he's essentially is explaining it to the reluctant sergeant who is like, are you kidding me? Like, what is this bullshit? And Sherman's team essentially back it up by saying like, well, this technology from the pod is light years ahead of ours. And basically on Earth, we're called like the ancients, like we're so out of touch. And so we cut back to the road where Jenny learns that they need to get to Arizona in two days or Scott's ride will take off without him and he'll die. So she starts to essentially gain sympathy because she's like, oh, I didn't know that. I thought you were just here, like having a great time. So the two stop at a bus stop diner to eat. Scott kind of notices a dead deer tied to the hood of a car and asks, like, what's the deal with this? Like, why is it dead? Why is this here? (laughs) He's very perplexed by that. Yeah. And she's like, well, you know, sometimes people shoot to kill and eat these things, whatever, which prompts him to mention, you are a very primitive species. And then that's when the owner of the deer is like, hey, get away from my car and starts hassling them for a second before they head inside. So in a booth, Jenny's showing Scott a map and is explaining how to get to the site. She also gives him a credit card and teaches him how to work, how it works for meals and gas. And he essentially is like, why are you explaining all this? To which she brushes it off and finds a picture of her and Scott together, immediately getting sad again, which launches into another conversation about marriage, love and death. And she essentially relates it to her life and her experience with Scott. And as we mentioned earlier, like, we don't get really an explanation of how he died, but we just know that Scott had died. And she loses it as she's talking about it. And I love this scene, too, where she's like, oh, shit. And Scott immediately is like, shit. And she's like, no, don't say that. (laughs) And I love, oh, God, this waitress is like my MVP, I think, of the movie, because she is just (laughs) so, like, perfect, right? And she's dropping off the food. And she's like, here you guys go. And Scott just looks at her and says, shit. And Jenny is like, don't mind him. He's just beginning to learn English. So the waitress is like, well, he's got a hell of a start on it. Oh, I love it. Like, yep, you go, girl. 
Wisconsin. I feel like that's a very Wisconsin interaction. I was like, are they still in Wisconsin? I was like trying to figure it out. I'm like, when are they going to get out of there? It's confusing because some people at that diner have like a, like the hunter has like a Southern twang. So you're like, "Eh." (laughs) yeah, like, where are you? That's not a Wisconsin accent. Yeah. 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 Where, where are we? Because they never really show any of that, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But um, in classic uh, Josh mode, Scott goes right into the apple pie first, right? And uh, (laughs) Jenny's like, no, 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 no. You got to eat that last. And he's like, why? She's like, I don't know. I guess it's just the way you do things. It's like, you go, girl. Like, (laughs) meeting Scott. Like, sorry, you go, star man. Like, (laughs) eat the apple pie. Eat the cake, Andy. That's right. Life is (laughs) (laughs) out. But anyway, he he takes a bite and is immediately in bliss. And behind them, it's announced basically that last call for a bus leaving to Chicago, where Jenny is like, excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom, and makes her way into the kitchen where she asks the waitress if she can give Scott her keys and money, and asks if there's a back door out of there. And the waitress does show it to her, but she's also like, I wouldn't go out there if I were you. Your your fella is in the front, in the parking <laughs> lot. And so Jenny's like, what? So she heads outside to see what the hell he's up to. And that's when she witnesses Scott essentially reanimate a deer. And I don't remember. He doesn't use a spear for that, right? I think he just reanimates it somehow. No, there's no spear for that one, I don't think. Not that I remember. Yeah, I didn't keep count of how many spears he had and when he's using them. Well, regardless, the deer comes back to life. It's a very touching moment. And it kind of runs off into the the woods. And I love, like, the hunter appears, notices the deer is missing, and essentially is like... What the hell did you do with my deer? Well, no, he says, where did my deer go? And he's like, that away. <laughs> like pointing out to the woods. And he's like, very funny. And starts picking a fight with him, essentially punching Scott. And I love, because Scott, you know, like is copying everything. He punches him back. And that's when basically a group of unknown yeah, like men like come out of nowhere i don't know it seems very like <laughs> fight let's be part of this and, like just run out yeah. like they don't even know the guy they're just like let's beat the shit out of someone <laughs> so they totally wail on scott and i love jenny because she's iconic here firing two shots in the air yes. um, breaking it up like not on my watch and so that's when the waitress rushes out tells jenny hey your bus is leaving and we see she's kind of made peace with the situation. Is like, ah, uh, never mind. Like, I'm fine. So she gets back in the car. That's when she started to fall in love with him, though, right? Yeah, Wasn't yeah. It? Like she's, right there. She's feeling more sympathy and empathy. And I do love. I think she's behind the wheel because they're on like a gravel like parking lot. And these guys, the group of pissed off hunter guys, right, are still pissed. And they're like, let's bunk them up. And they get behind the car. And I swear she like floors it, like yes, shooting all the gravel like in their direction. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, uh, it's it great. great. Almost like smashes into that semi truck or whatever was pulling out. Oh yeah, she's like putting the pedal to the metal as they're getting the hell out of that parking lot. And they try chasing them, but then the bus that's taking off for Chicago essentially like pulls out in front of them and cuts them off. Oh, that's what it is. The bus. Yeah. So a few minutes later, we see Sherman and the team arrive at the diner and he learns basically that Jenny had every opportunity to escape because he's talking to the, the waitress and other people. And that she's, she didn't. So it, he's starting to consider whether or not it's actually a kidnapping. So Jenny and Scott, stop at a rowdy this is another odd choice too i don't know how you guys felt but it's like 
They stopped to get some sleep at this Holiday Inn, but it is like party central there and we get like no context. <laughs> There's just people like screaming and cheering and like having a blast. And I'm like, maybe they are in Wisconsin. It's just like that. There's like a Wisconsin <laughs> exactly. weekend, right? Yeah. <laughs> just in the Dells, right. like just fucking going to town. Blowing, blowing off fireworks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Being rowdy. Screaming. As basically Jenny and Scott head inside, they we see a squad car arrive and we learn that they're essentially the cops have been tailing them the entire time and they are instructed not to approach them until the feds arrive and then we get sort of this inside conversation where they're talking about this is bullshit like we shouldn't have to wait for them to come in because they're going to just take all the credit so let's take this into our own hands and these are the cops you were referencing earlier right joe yeah the two that had cameos. So while inside the hotel room, while Jenny's sleeping, Scott's watching TV, flipping through the channels. He stops on that famous kissing scene in Swept Away, because that's Swept Away, right? The original? Where they're on the beach no, and they... that's uh, From Here to Eternity. From Here to Eternity, you're right. So yeah, it's that infamous um, original From Here to Eternity beach scene where the couple are kissing on the beach. And that's when he looks over to Jenny, who's sleeping. And I love he, like, walks over to her, <laughs> attempts to kiss her, but she, like, immediately turns over. And then he removes his hat and moves in to kiss her. But before he can, he's interrupted by a knock at the door, where one of those rowdy patrons, I don't know if they're supposed to be college or whatever, uh, basically is like, hey, is that your Mustang down there? Because the police are trying to break into it. And then we immediately cut to, like, this guy that he just met and Scott pushing a vending machine down the <laughs> stairs. Um, and of course, it like crashes in at the bottom. And that's when the police are like, hey, and like run toward it. <laughs> the logistics of this really confused me because they're up on a second floor, right? Maybe Jenny's already there. But then like the cops run over to the mess. And then as they are like looking at it, they turn around and Jenny and Scott are just like getting in the car and driving <laughs> off. I'm like, damn, that was fast. Like, Magically. Yeah. I mean, maybe again, just in there. he used a spear and just like, boop, yeah. he's just there. <laughs> but a chase ensues with Scott behind the wheel and Scott raises the gun prompting the police to basically arm themselves. And whoa, like, this is pretty hardcore. Like, instead of sending a warning, they immediately just start firing into the passenger side seat, hitting Jenny. I was not expecting that. I was like, damn, I thought it was going to be like, you know, shoot out the window or something. No, it was like first shot, like, bam, she goes down, she's dead. And then as Scott's driving up ahead, we see the road is blocked by basically an overturned tanker. And Scott doesn't care because he doesn't know. He's just driving through all the barricades and then immediately activates one of the spheres. Everyone on the ground by the tanker scatters because they're like, oh, shit, this person's about to just drive head first into this thing. <laughs> and that's when he drives head into it. There's a huge explosion. But instead of them perishing, we see with the sphere, Scott's essentially walks right through the flame, through the fire. <laughs> He's walking out. It's It's a very, like visually appealing scene where he's like walking through it with the glow around them and he's got Jenny in his in his arms and essentially like they walk to safety before kind of disappearing and then in the morning uh Sherman basically radios to the sergeant mentioning that witnesses saw Scott walking right through the flames with Jenny before disappearing into the woods and so he mentions a roadblock is being set up ahead and that he plans on basically trying to get up to it so he can intercept them so we cut to his mobile home, basically being carted down the highway on a truck. Inside is Scott kneeling over Jenny's dead body. 
and in his hand are two more spheres, and he uses one of them to basically bring her back to life, literally giving her the kiss of life, because I think he kisses her, and that's when... I don't think she immediately comes to. I think it's hours later is when she wakes up alone in the home because that's happening at night and we get this shot of like the truck and like we see the blue light inside and then in the morning like they had stopped because there's yeah there's daylight and that she gets up she's all alone in the in the home the car is stopped at that point or the truck I should say she exits and sees that it's just sitting in a park you know at a gas station so she heads inside looks for Scott there's a quick shot of him being driven away by a stranger before cutting back to the diner. So we know, like, he's not there. He's already back on the road with a complete stranger. And that's when I'm a little confused by this. Jenny makes a call, which is patched to Sherman. I'm like, I don't know exactly how she got connected to him. Because it's not like anyone gave her that number and was like, call this man if you need help, right? I'm assuming maybe she called the police and they patched her through to Sherman. He's a very but, important person, you know. <laughs> yeah. The alien well, hunter. And yeah, I don't know. I, it's it's not for the some, X-Files. True, true. We're, yeah, Weenie Mulder and Scully up in this, right? <laughs> yes, we do. If she would have talked to the cops, then they would have just sent more people out to shoot her. But true, they're not they're really the most trustworthy people in this movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, remember? I mean, I hope she doesn't remember that because I would be like <laughs> scarred for life. Hey, remember when you shot me with a shotgun? It wasn't even like a gun. I think they used a shotgun. Anyway, so she's on the phone with Sherman. And she basically is trying to tell him, like, I haven't been kidnapped and he means no harm. And then basically hangs up. It's like that end of story, like no more to be shared. And then learns from the waitress because the waitress overhears her and she's like, are you looking for a funny looking kind of fella? <laughs> He's like, he hitched a ride with our, our uh, night cook a few minutes ago and they were headed out west. And I love that Jenny's like, can anyone give me a ride out west? And immediately this kid just stands <laughs> up and he's just like, I yeah, will. let's go. <laughs> I don't know if he's just like, Woo, yeah, mama, let's go. Like, I don't know, but he, he's all he's for all about it, right? it. That's right. Yeah. So we cut to Scott and the cook, who's George Buckflower, who also has this great Southern accent. And they're kind of conversing. And I love this scene, too, because, well, one, we see Scott's conversational skills have improved at this point because he's a little more relaxed and doesn't sound so robotic. But I love that the cook offers him a cigarette. And it's just this prolonged scene of him, like, reacting to the cigarette because he, like, you know, he takes it, lights it, he smokes it. And then <laughs> and then he just, like, sits there with it in his mouth for a while. And then just like, <laughs> like, it's it just goes on and on. But it's it's so great. And I was hoping, actually, that he would have just, like, started taking another drag immediately after. Like, even after that horrible experience, he just is like, okay, I guess he this is more. part of it. Yeah. But, it's supposed um, to suck. They eventually stop at Gridlock, and that's where we see that it's the roadblock that Sherman was referencing earlier. And everyone is being forced out of their cars to be interrogated. I love the lineup. It was great. <laughs> like, just everyone on the side of the road just standing there. So Jenny does eventually catch up to him, and she's like, oh, I have to create a diversion to get him out of there because I think she sees Scott at this point. And I love, again, she's just like, are you willing to help me out to the driver? And he's like, sure. And so we get a <laughs> shot of him, like, lighting it's like basically like a molotov cocktail but like with a gas can um and he lights it on fire and just throws it out into the desert and it <laughs> explodes and then they're like fire it's him i don't know what they're thinking like oh an explosion he's in there <laughs> it's gotta like, be the alien yeah well he did blow up the forest earlier so i, I suppose. guess that's true <laughs> but 
uh, he, yes, speeds away. And also, I got to point out, like, this car that he's driving, I kind of love because it's sort of like this weird dune buggy thing. (laughs) I can't quite put my finger on it, but whoever that character is, I think we need, like, a spinoff. Like, the backstory? (laughs) Yes. We need a spinoff. Like, just this guy who's just down for anything, right? This woman he doesn't know. Let's drive her out west. I don't give a shit. Oh, yeah, you want me to throw a gas can and start some shit with the police? Sure. And then I'll drive away and take the blame for it. Like, no problem. So, uh, Jenny reunites with Scott as the cops, you know, are chasing after the car. She waves down a passing pickup truck. And they hop in the back in the cab, make their way through the desert. And that's when we get basically, you know, this affectionate scene where she's like, I missed you. And she wishes, she tells him, I wish you would have said goodbye. And then she teaches him what all that means before we see next to them is like this woman wrapped in a blanket and she's like holding a baby. The baby starts crying. And basically, you know, Jenny eventually like gets a hold of that baby. She's like holding it and trying to comfort it because the woman's like, yeah, sure. Here you go. And that's when Scott's asking her, like, have you ever had a baby? And she tells him, well, I wanted to with Scott, but it's genetically impossible. So eventually the truck stops at this train yard. This is another really impressive scene because it's like they're still in the back of the cab. It's downpouring, but they somehow have this like contraption over the back of the cab that's like a tent. It's not even like a cab. It's just like a fabric over it to cover them from the rain. And so Scott and Jenny rush out of, you know, through the rain to the train car um, and hop aboard to hitch a ride. And inside the train car, we see Scott sneezing, prompting her to remove his wet clothes so he doesn't get pneumonia, quote unquote. I was like, a likely story. (laughs) Let's start with your pants. Um, (laughs) But they stare at each other a while before we get a romantic and extended literal roll in the hay. I love this next shot because we cut to a little while later where we just see like she's sleeping, but Scott's just staring out the train door and he's got this huge grin on his face. It's like, (laughs) yep, we all know what that's about. (laughs) And Jenny wakes and essentially approaches him asking if he can stay on Earth. But he tells her, you know, he must go back. Immediately mentions this is another jarring scene. I was like, damn, like he's just like... I gifted you a baby tonight. Yeah. And she's like, what? And let's. We didn't want to talk about that. Let's just ask the woman guest here if this were you, what would be your feelings of potentially carrying this child if you actually had wanted a child? Would you be a little nervous about what that pregnancy and childbirth? Birth? The birth, yeah, the birth yeah. the, the, that's the most important part. What's that going to be like? Is it going to yeah. come out looking like you did when you, you yeah. first started? Yeah. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. <laughs> that I was just thinking jarring. of the logistics of like, is your stomach going to be glowing? Is it, I mean, yeah. are people going to have marbles falling out of there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of questions from the staff at the hospital, like, <laughs> what are we doing exactly? Um, <laughs> uh, and will no. it stay a baby? Will it age in normal time i i don't know a lot of questions there's just no conversation he just does it you know yeah it's fine but thankfully he's a gentleman because he does say you know if you don't want it i can take care of it right now Mm -hmm. i can take care of that and she's like she basically embraces him and is like yep nope i want this baby and uh she says yeah which star did you come from because i want to show the baby one day so it's very romantic and i feel like it's even maybe the cover of one of the posters of like them looking out 
at the sky and like the wind blowing and being very sexy. Not quite species, but you know, we'll take what we can get. Oh, (laughs) species. So the train does come to a stop and Jenny and Scott, essentially they thought the train was headed towards Winslow, Arizona, but unfortunately they find out it has passed Winslow and ended up dumping them off in Las Vegas. So we see the two of them walking the old, you know, downtown Vegas strip. And Scott is completely overstimulated, as he should be, by all the lights and sights of (laughs) Vegas. And that's when Jenny's explaining, you know, oh, this is what it means to get a jackpot before realizing, oh, my God, my wallet's missing. Scott's like, ah, don't worry about it. I got this one coin. I'll play a slot machine. And naturally, it stops just short of the jackpot. And I love that she's like, damn. But he just, like, bangs on it. And then it just, like, goes bing and, like, hits the jackpot (laughs) and releases the coins. Um, and she's, I love this scene too, because she's like, okay, you know, we got to space it out a little bit. We can't be too obvious. And then all of a sudden we hear off, off camera, like another jackpot and he's just Things going there. off. <laughs> and there's a giant sign that says $500,000 jackpot. It's like, great. So they do end up buying a car and start heading out of town. And Sherman, we see, meanwhile, Sherman meeting with George Fox, where we learn his team have essentially prepared a lab to do an autopsy on Starman. Uh, Once he's captured. And this is when Sherman is like, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't know about all this. Like Stephanie, you said earlier, like we invited them. Like, what are you what are you doing? Don't you want to learn from them instead of study them, dissect them? I mean, but Fox shows no mercy. And that's when the two of them essentially learn of a possible sighting in Vegas. So we cut back to Jenny, who assures Scott they're going to make it to the crater site that they're headed to in Arizona in time. And then she asks, you know, what's it like up there? And I do appreciate these scenes because he says there's only one language, one law, one people. There's no war, no hunger. The strong do not victimize the helpless. And he tells her that he will miss her and he will miss his time on Earth, among other things, I think (laughs) what he says. I think we all know what that means. And so they stop at a roadside restaurant to eat. And this is another hilarious scene to me so <laughs> the owner's just standing there right and they're like do you have any cherry pie and he's like we don't we have cherry cobbler and they're like great and he's like basically if you don't like it you don't have to pay for it it's like damn i want to go to that diner like <laughs> exactly. i mean let's be real would all of you be like yeah i didn't really care for it Ashley, it's <laughs> yeah, all gone it right good <laughs> lick yeah. your plate clean while they're eating the cobbler jenny asks scott do you have a partner back home and he tells her no before basically they're interrupted by an officer and questions them about their ride outside. And that's when all of a sudden we see like dozens of police arriving outside with Sherman. And Sherman enters the restaurant, excusing the officer. And the officer, before he leaves, tells him, okay, George Fox is headed headed here, just so you know. So keep keep him busy. So Sherman introduces himself to the two of them. And that's when Jenny immediately is like, you gotta let him go. We don't have much time. And Sherman's just kind of ignoring her at this point, asking Scott, you know, have your people been here before? Yeah, I have so many questions. And Scott says, yes, we have been here before. And I do appreciate he says, you know, your human race is at your best when you're at your worst, which I'm like, truth, I see it. (laughs) So Jenny continues to beg Sherman to let him go, even saying like, can you see he's dying? And I, I was like a little confused by that because I think at some point he said, if I don't go, I will die. But I I don't think at any point was I ever like, he looks sickly at this point. I think the lighting's supposed to have him look a little paler, but it just seems like, oh, the sun's coming through the window. So I don't... Yeah, it was so <laughs> bright. I, I just, I'm thinking again, this is a very like E.T. moment where like E.T. turns totally white and it's like very obvious. 
I, I don't even have to do something hokey, but like he wasn't even really acting any different in my opinion. So I thought his hair looked different though too, didn't it? It looked like duller or I don't know. Maybe, Maybe I'd have to look into it. it. I have to look at it again. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. I was on board with it. I just a little confused and also i was like well, she could also just be like can't you see he's dying and then like as any you know any excuse to get out of there but so then we get a quick shot of you know sherman looking a little concerned because he didn't realize oh my god we're on a time frame before we cut to the three of them leaving a few minutes later and i absolutely love this because jenny gives sherman a big kiss on the lips and is like thank you and then i love that like scott follows her and essentially kisses him on the lips and says, thank you. I <laughs> loved it. Yeah. So fantastic. Great. <laughs> so they drive away and that's when Sherman tells everyone, yeah, it wasn't them. It was a different couple. And boss bitch George Fox arrives right by helicopter and asks, well, where are they? And the trooper is like, well, we had to let him go. And that's when Fox is like, oh, Sherman, I know what you're up to and you're finished. And I love it. At this point, Sherman is like not giving any <laughs> cares in the world. And he just like lights up a cigar because I think there's this running thing at some point where he's just like, will you put that cigar out? Or he like keeps lecturing him about a cigar because Sherman's just trying to live his best life. In the beginning, he was just sitting down watching TV and that's what he was doing. He was smoking a cigar and that's when he got the <laughs> phone call. So I love that. You know, Sherman says, as much as I hate symbolism, he like lights the cigar and blows smoke in Fox's face. It's like work. So Jenny and Scott finally reach the crater. In the distance, a pack of helicopters are headed their way. The two of them take off and are chased, you know, to the floor of the crater. Fox prompts the copters to fire warning shots. Sherman and a shit ton of soldiers arrive at the scene. Jenny and Scott are continuously shot out, shot at and narrowly escape. And then that's when they're basically interrupted when in the sky, Fox is the first one to see the Saturn-like planet from the opening making its descent like over the crater. And everyone is immediately like stopped in their tracks. And as basically the planet opens up from its base, it starts casting this red glow. And then essentially it's like starts snowing down on like down below. I think it's only on Jenny and Scott at this point. And that's when Jenny like hugs him and is like, take me with you. And he's like, you can't, you'll die. And that's when he asks, remind me how to say goodbye. And she tells him to kiss her and say, I love you. And he does. And then she asks if she'll ever see him again. And <laughs> cold, right? I mean, I guess he's honest. He's like, no. But uh, he does prompt <laughs> her to return, you know, the I love you. To which he asks her to tell the baby about him and gives her his last sphere. And then he mentions the baby will know what to do with it. And that's when Scott says goodbye before walking toward the red light, waving goodbye to Jenny. And then we get a close-up shot of Jenny and her face basically looking up to the sky as if like essentially he's being beamed up. And then like the planet, I'm assuming the planet is, is this ascending and it's got this very like emotional score playing and that's when it fades out and we get the credits and that is starman Starman. so mm. you know what did you both think joe since i did all the talking so far you start <laughs> uh i thought it was all right i do feel it's a step down from usual john carpenter because this is a work for hire i think a big part of it is the score too that it's missing a john carpenter score because Christine was work for hire, but that still feels like very John Carpenter. And the thing 
doesn't have his score, but he got Ennio Morricone, who did like Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and a ton of other stuff. So that score still really holds up. This one's kind of like, yeah, because I, you know, John Carpenter's out of his element a little bit here. Like he hasn't done a film like this before, which I don't necessarily see as a problem. It just doesn't have kind of the style that shows up in his films. So I think it's okay. I do think it is, it's the first dip for me personally in his filmography. I definitely saw some of the horror influence, but it wasn't necessarily like full throttle. But like, I really loved like the images and all that stuff of like when it crashes and then we're going across the lake and it's sort of that POV headed towards the cabin and kind of slinking around. And then like Steph said, the creepy baby stuff. It's like, I guess, yeah, the baby that's definitely feels like the same effects as the thing. The thing. I can yeah, see I the same people say, like working in that. But to me, it this feels sort of like a road trip movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like you said, a little bit of him outside of his element because it's more of like focus on the drama. Yes, it's a sci-fi film, but really like the meat of this film is, in my opinion, this love story between the two of them and what's going on with them. And actually, like, I think the only stuff I didn't really enjoy with Starman, because spoiler alert, I liked the movie. I thought it was great. I wanted to just like every time it cut away from Jenny and Scott, I was like, no, I don't care. Go back. Go yeah. back. I don't care what's going on in the background. Yeah. That made it feel similar to E.T. when it, like all the government things. Yeah. I mean, there's no really good way of like going around it. But like I would have appreciated if they trimmed somehow trimmed it down, if it was more just about those two and like him going through the journey of like learning what it's like to be human while also falling in love and having these kind of fun, scary, sexy moments of like, <laughs> you know, just everything. I mean, from the trucker, just been like, gas, oh, I know what you mean, you know, <laughs> to like that sassy waitress and her trying to get away and then him reanimating the deer. I mean, yeah, I, I just feel like if you erase the Sherman and all of it, I think we could easily just have all these obstacles that prevented him from getting back to the crater, but then he eventually makes it and then leaves. And it would have been the same if you eliminated all that other stuff. Yeah, wouldn't have changed the storyline too much. See, it's so funny that you say that because I always thought that it wasn't just a love story. I never even really realized that it was a sci-fi movie until now. I would say it has sci-fi elements. I don't know, Joe, would you consider it a sci-fi movie? Yeah, I mean, just like the sci-fi romance. I feel that's that can be a subgenre. Oh, okay. It's light. Itself, so. I think it's light on the sci-fi, definitely. You said that that came in your box set with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Is that the... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, that makes total sense because I was getting very much so like those type of vibes. Like, I know you guys keep saying E.T., but I keep more thinking more like, like I said, like the Close Encounters. What was some other movies I was trying to think of that... There's that one with the old some... people that I can't think of the name right cocoon. now. Just like cocoon, yes, cocoon. cocoon with yeah. the old people. I think another great one is Abyss because there's those like alien elements to it, but really it's more about like the heart of the drama that's happening. And then all that other stuff happens outside of it. Like all those old movies, they all had like the government interference, you know? Like that was like a thing in the 80s. I don't know. Like I said, that's like war game. I feel like it takes me back to that too, even though that's not so much with like the sci-fi, but obviously the computerization stuff, I don't know. I just kind of grouped them all together. Well, I liked it when Steph, after so many years... 
How is no, it I held up for you? No, I couldn't wait for it to be over. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just wanted it to be done. It was like, felt like it was never going to end. Oh, you thought it was too long? It just like dragged on. I was like, oh, okay, 115 minutes. That's nothing. Like usually that goes by so fast. And I don't know. It just never ends. Well, did it you like it going. though? That's the question. Did you like what you saw? It was definitely not what I remembered it to be. Like my past memories of it was way more romanticized and it was so much better if I would have just left it on the shelf and never watched it again. <laughs> I think that's probably part of my like disappointment. It's not mm. like the movie itself. Like I said, the acting I thought was better than I remembered it being, but I just, I don't know. No, it was not. I could have just left it alone. It wasn't bad. It wasn't that bad. I just, I think that I, like I said, my memory and my nostalgia for it were had higher expectations than where it actually landed for me. But I'm so glad I went back and watched it because, again, I just can't believe that I got to watch that sort of stuff when I was that little. <laughs> well, and you, you had mentioned it earlier, but after you were done, were you like, oh, I wish I would have picked something else? Like, was there another movie you had in mind? No. At all? Mm -mm. I'm still glad that we, like, went back and watched it. I was actually going through some of, like, the old James Bond stuff, like, before... Um, or even just like the Daniel Craig movies, because I always love to watch those. Um, that was the only thing I was like really thinking of, because I was just, again, like trying to go back to the stuff that my parents would let me watch. I'd be remiss to say I'm surprised you didn't pick a movie that's been in our list for a while that we just have a really hard time finally pulling the plug on. A like movie which that one? Both terrified us from a childhood. Oh. Nothing but trouble, which Joe has <laughs> <is> heard. <laughs> I really enjoyed that movie as a kid. I remember just, that was one of those weird random video rentals you'd have at the video store. But when I worked at the movie theater, we'd have like mystery midnights where everyone would pick a movie. We wouldn't know what it was and we'd sit through it. Someone picked that and like watching that, it's so slow and so bad. It's like, this is excruciating. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the biggest like, ooh, my nostalgia does not hold up on this. <laughs> so hard when you go back, I think, like just how your feelings and just those like your your wantingness to just go back to being a child or like being younger, I think always just like heightens everything for people typically. Mm -hmm. So then when you go back, it's like, ooh, it's hard for it to hold up with the test of time. I don't know. For some of them, I don't know if I want to touch because I'm like, I think I just like the memory right where it is. Well, um, unless you have a few more things to share, Stephanie, I was hoping you could help Joe out with this week's challenge <laughs> oh, because boy. it is my to turn to challenge like Joe to pick a film. And before I do that, I just want to say thank you for joining. I'm, we're so yes, glad to you. have you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Always and forever. Bestie. I want to live up to the hype, of course, you know. If you're all right, I'd like to move into the hot seat challenge portion of this podcast. And the reason why I was hoping you would stay is because, as we discussed off the top, I love to make you watch a very distinct type of movie. We've talked about Zola. We've talked about Red Rocket, Freeway. There's also this great movie we watched called Never Going Back about these two girls who are just total, like, slackers. I'm hoping you two can also help me workshop this genre because I've been trying to put it into words for a long time. And maybe Joe and I can think about if you think of it, Steph, you can send it to me. Um, but Joe, think about it also, because okay. the section of the video store that I would like you to choose a film from is working title Real Life Sleaze. Um, <laughs> and I, that's the only explanation that I can explain. Lane. Like, I, I want to be the one to name this genre. 
And I've been really trying to like figure out something. And like the only other thought I was thinking is like, you, we could try to do it like still life sleaze, but like that doesn't quite make sense. But essentially the genre of the film entails real people. It's not, it's not a documentary, but it's like almost like real people in real situations, but sleazy situations a la Spring Breakers. Or, like mm. I said, Zola, Freeway, Red Rocket, to name a few. So I don't know if this is helping you kind of gather those kind of films in your mind. But, Joe, I think the ones that would even qualify are films that I've actually never seen, but you have, and you've also, a lot of people have said that they're they're horrible. The Harmony Corinne-type film, but then there's also the, who's the other guy we've talked a lot about? Who directed Kids. Yes. Yeah, Larry get, Clark. Larry, Larry Clark. Clark. So I, I I tend not to go. Here's the thing. Stephanie knows this. I tend not to go that dark. Like the stuff that I have is that we watch is fucked up, but it's like light and comedic where those ones feel like they're just flat out like gut punch dread, existential dread. I don't think Zola is very light and comedic. (laughs) Where's the comedy? Well, I I was laughing. I also know all the things that you laugh at. Some of those things are very scary. Yeah, I suppose. The real life situations. So so I found like a great, someone was explaining like in a Reddit post describing these similar films, right? And they were like trying to find recommendations for, in quote, a film that's kind of trashy, funny, sexy, but weird. And I think that that is the epitome of the type of movie that I'm talking about. And so, Joe, I will let you do your research for one minute and see if you pick up something. I have, obviously, I have a basket pick if, Joe, you can't figure out one. And also, I will say you can also use Stephanie as a phone a friend in this situation because (laughs) she has seen many of these. And I think she can pull the trigger on one, whether you like them or not, Stephanie. I like have a good one in my back pocket. If you need me to say something out loud, I will. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to start the minute now, and then we'll let Joe speak his piece. So we're starting now. All right. Well, I mean, the first one that came to mind, I don't know if it counts, but we were just talking it for Poison Ivy 2, the one about the, like, schoolgirl in the day and <laughs> streetwalker at night. The angel. Oh, Angel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Angel Collection. Because there's Angels 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. Oh, my God. Of course I don't know are. if that counts. I don't know, Steph. <laughs> what, are you thinking of any titles? Nine and a half weeks. I feel like that one's like older and smutty with Kim Basinger. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's exactly what you are like thinking about, but I just something about Mickey Rourke is ooh, like yeah, <laughs> I was going for Mickey Rourke because I was thinking Angel Heart, but then like, well, that's a horror. I don't know if that's that really counts. I'm not going to rule anything out at this point because I, especially films I haven't seen, I'll let you guys pick them and we can talk about it. But because oh, that's the uh, Angel Heart's the one that Lisa Bonet got fired from the Cosby Show for because of her sex scene. With oh boy, she she bear it all. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, minutes up. Oh God, I don't know, Josh. I might go for your basket pick because I'm not entirely confident with the choices. Are we sure? Are we ready for the basket pick? Or let's go for the basket pick. Let's do it. All right. So this is actually a great film that Stephanie, I want to watch with you sometime, and I actually talked to her about. It is the 2015 film called Tangerine. About (laughs) basically a transgendered woman, a sex worker in L.A. And primarily it follows her as she just got out of prison and is looking for her boyfriend and finds out that he's been cheating on her while she's been in prison. 
This movie is a trip and also has this actor who I really love. I'm trying to think of his name. He's not in a ton of things, but he's in... What's that movie with Ethan Hawke and the home footage movie? Yeah, what is that one called? Sinister. Sinister, uh, yeah. He's in Sinister (gasps) 1 as a cameo, but he's got a a major part in Sinister 2. And I've always thought he's like somewhat attractive, even though he's really trashy in, uh, (laughs) in this movie, Tangerine. So... I'm excited to talk about all things. And I think this this like very easily fits into that category. No, I'm glad I went with the basket pick because there's definitely, I see what you're more going for. And I don't think anything that I would have thought of would have fit that. You know, so. I never quite know what exactly fits in because there's like, I don't, because I know exactly what you, like, obviously I've watched many of the ones that you <laughs> <laughs> consider in this category. So I feel like I have a hard time distinguishing between exactly where the line is. Yeah. Well, thank you for sticking around. I'm glad you could help out with this. And that's why you you inspired this this genre, oh. Stephanie. So. Oh, Joe, you're so lucky. You're so welcome. <laughs> yes. So thank you again for joining. Thank you for having me. Uh, and thanks for listening, everyone. We're your hosts, Joe Larson and Josh Gorski, with sound mix and theme music by Jason Mitchell. If you liked what you heard today, please follow and review on your favorite podcast app, uh, you can visit us at Video Dropbox Podcast on Instagram and contact us at Video Dropbox Podcast at gmail.com. And as always, until next time, remember to be kind and please rewind. <laughs>